Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. What would happen if we all came to church overflowing? I'm serious. What would happen if we all, and you just took a bunch of little overflowing cups and put them into one big, this place would be electrified, be electrified. And uh, that's what we need. That's what we need. That's what this city needs. Not just for us so we can sit around and say, oh, look at us. Look at, look at, look at what God's doing in our midst. No, it's so that the people in the world around us can be affected. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so we need to be full. We need to be saturated. One of the things I want to point out uh, to you, I don't know if you saw this in your bulletin, but I, I just want to congratulate our, our food pantry team. We have served year to date this year 13,000, over 13,000 meals. That's awesome. And the even better part about that, because you know I'm, I, I'm always concerned about the money, so the, the even better part about that is we're doing it for about 10 cents a meal. So that's, that's awesome. That's incredible. So I, I want to encourage you, uh, you know, there are several that give regularly to, to the food pantry or Night of Hope is, is where that goes. It's all encompassing. And there are folks that do that regularly, and it, that's what it's going for. And it's awesome. We have another Night of Hope coming up. Make sure you check out your bulletin. We're going to need a lot of extra volunteers this time because we've got additional areas of service for the kids. And so if you're interested in that, you can see uh, Mandy Eater and... You want to wave? There, there's Mandy. You can see her, and she'll help get you connected. Hallelujah. Well, I want to teach this morning on pioneering a work of God. The next couple of weeks, I want to take a look at this. Uh, but I want, to, I want to teach and preach this morning on pioneering a work of God in our community. How you and I are called, our church is called to pioneer a work of revival in our community. And what does that look like? What does that mean? You know, the, the pioneers of old, when they, were, when they were leaving the East Coast and going out West, they, had a, they would post signs, a motto on the sign of their, uh, their wagons and such. It was gold or bust. And you know, you and I have to have that same sort of tenacity, revival or bust. We're in, we're in, we don't, we, there is no other option. This, it, is, it is an awakening in our, in our area, in our region, in our country, or we bust. We're investing our time. That's what, that's what the pioneers were saying. We're investing our time, our resources, our effort, our energy into this. Gold or bust. And I would say for us, revival or bust. Rachel said it like this. Lord, give me children or I'll die. David said, Lord, give me the heathen is my inheritance. That, is our, that ought to be our heart's cry. Lord, give me spiritual children or I die. Give me, uh, there's nothing else that will satisfy. Nothing else that will satisfy for the revival pioneer to, to experience the presence of God in an awakening. Nothing else will do. Nothing else will do. So I want to take a look this morning at revival pioneers 
the, the pioneers of old, they didn't quit. They didn't give up. They didn't get distracted. When starvation and all of the things that they faced came their way, they didn't give up. They kept going. They kept, they kept pressing on to accomplish their goal. And it's the same with you and I, friend. If we want to be revival pioneers, if we want to pioneer a work of God in our community, we can't give up. We can't stop. We've got to keep moving forward. We've got to press into God. And, you know, it's not, let me say this. Being a revival pioneer, you know, let me clear up some semantic situations here. We're not pursuing an event or a season. Revival is not about a, a series of scheduled meetings. You know, let's, let's have three, three days of special meetings. Revival and awakening is continual. Yeah. It's not here for a season and it goes. It is continual. It becomes the, the DNA of the church. It is seeking the presence of the Lord. It is seeking God. What is revival? It is seeking God till he shows up in the degree of that season that we're, that we're in. It's not about the season. It's seeking him. It's pressing into God and he shows up in a supernatural way in that season. It's a hunger and a desperation for God. Nothing else will satisfy. We can't, we can't be calmed down with religious pacifiers. <laughs> right? We can't be, someone can't just subdue us with a religious pacifier and say, oh, here's another event, here's another church service, here's another activity, just be quiet, suck on your pacifier and sit there a while, you'll be okay. No, no, I think God wants to get rid of all the pacifiers and bring back passion to his church. He wants to get rid of all of our little pacifiers and cause us to be passionately in love with him again. And stop, stop chasing all the, the side. And listen, let me say this too. There are those that will settle. There's pioneers and there's settlers. We need settlers. Settlers aren't a bad thing. We need settlers. But if God's called us to step into something new and to go someplace we've never been, it means we've got to be a pioneer. Right. It means we've got to be a pioneer. We can't settle for a second best. We can't settle for second Best, we can't settle for status quo. We got to press into the Lord. Settler, the definition of a settler is a person that accepts a certain place as home and establishes residence and routine there. And so there's nothing wrong with those folks. We need those kind of folks. But a pioneer, this is a pioneer. A pioneer is a person that helps develop or opens a new line of thought, activity, or experience. And the, the English had a term for pioneer. It was the term pickaxe. These were the folks that would go in and they would pick out the rocks. They were the pickaxes that would prepare the way. It was in, the Germans used it as a term for trench diggers in times of warfare. During wartime, the term was used for those who would go before a coming army and repair or clear the road or destroy the establishments of the enemy. What does that mean? These were the folks that would go through the, the road and make sure that the army had a clear path on their way, way through to, to battle. And that's what pioneers are. We go through, we, head, we pioneer the way, make room for the coming army, make sure the landmines are out of the way, make sure the barricades are out of the way, make sure the road is a clear path for those coming after us to follow. Jeremiah 1.10 says, I have this day set you over nations and over kingdoms to root out, pull down, destroy, to throw down, to build up, and to plant. Pioneering. You and I are called, this church has a mandate from God to pioneer a revival and awakening in this region. This church has a history for pioneering. 
right? Those of you that have been around a while know, know the history. This church has a history for pioneering the way for various things. This region, this area has a history of revival, which we're going to talk about momentarily, and I'm going to I talk more about that on Wednesday night, but you, you should come and check that out. But Wednesday night at 7. But we are called, there is a mandate here to pioneer. When the, when the selection committee called us 15, 16 months ago and said, we want to be a New Testament church, whether, whether, <laughs> whether they realized the full implications of that statement or not, God birthed that. That wasn't a decision that was birthed in the heart of man by man's own ingenuity and ideas. Oh, that sounds like a great... Nobody says, hey, let's be a New Testament church. Nobody, nobody wants to be a New Testament church. That's, that's messy and, you know, we don't like... It's uncomfortable. We don't want that. People, people fall on the floor and they speak in tongues and the glory shows up and people get healed and miracles happen. We don't... That's not normal. We don't want that. <laughs> we want normal church. People don't, people don't say those things. But revival pioneers, when God places a mandate on someone to pioneer a work of God, it is the only thing that will satisfy. It's the only thing that will, that will, that will make them content in the things of God is to see the fulfillment of the plans of God. I pray this morning as I teach this and share this that something will stir on the inside of you. That if that there will be a bearing witness, so to speak, in your spirit, man, of the call of God on your life and the mandate of God on our church to pioneer a work of God. Let me give you some characteristics of a revival pioneer. First off, they pursue God, not an event, season, or identity. We talked about that. It's not about a, a season or things like that. They pursue God. They press into God. The purpose is, is God alone. And I believe that we're living in a day where God is stirring a hunger for His presence, and only His presence will do. Yep. There, is a, there is a generation around us that is hungry for the real. They're tired of fake church. They're tired of normal church. And they want the power and the presence of God. Yep. I went to, many of you might be familiar with uh, Bethel. And their worship, Bethel, worship, Bethel, Redding, California. And I went to their, they had a worship night and uh, went, went for some of it, daddy-daughter date night. I went for as long as Zoe could stand it. And uh, it, was, it was awesome to see. And it wasn't, it wasn't what I, you know, I've been to a Bethel worship night before, but it wasn't what you would expect in a, in a normal concert. You know, they, Christians do concerts all the time. We, we're good at concerts. We're good at shows. We're good at events. But that's not what this was. And they said from the very beginning, this is a night of worship. This is a night for you to encounter God. And it was interesting as I scanned the crowd, because I, I, we're new to the Akron area, and so I, I wanted to get a read on who was there. And as I scanned the crowd, 90% of those that were there were probably under the age of 30. Most of them were, were a younger generation. And what that spoke to me, nothing against the older, but it spoke to me there is a stirring and a hunger in this younger generation for an encounter with God, not just religious church. That's so true. And it's all around us. It's all around us. Number two, they courageously and sometimes naively set out to rediscover new and forgotten places in the Spirit. What God wants to do is he wants to renew the principles of old. Some of the things that we've lost or forsaken. 
Some examples of this would be the Protestant Reformation. There was a renewal or a re-emphasis on the five solas by grace alone, by faith alone, by God's glory alone, by Christ alone, by scripture alone. The Great Awakening provided an emphasis, a renewal on salvation by grace and not religious works. The holiness movement brought a renewal or an emphasis on a holy life, living a sanctified life. The Pentecostal revival brought brought renewal or emphasis on the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. The healing movement brought a renewed emphasis on divine healing. And more recently, the the joy or river movement, as you would call it, it brought a, a renewed emphasis on the joy of the Lord is our strength. God does these things so that we would rediscover and refresh. We need to hit the refresh button on the principles and the things of Scripture, the things of old. This isn't, these principles are not new. This is ancient truths, friend. This is ancient truths in the Word of God that have to be rediscovered, that the presence of God and the, and the principles of His Word have to be rediscovered and renewed in our lives. Thirdly, they challenge the modern church to go places that she hasn't been before. Oftentimes, places that are overgrown with man-made tradition and spiritual decline. God wants to challenge us, the modern church, to get out of our routine, our religious routine, and step into things that are not man-made, that are not tradition, to step into the principles of God and the things of the Spirit. They're not content. They're not content with religious extremes. They're not content with with the extremes of religion. you got the... I call them Thursday night in our Bible college class, spiritual kites, and you've got the headlocked folks on the other side. <laughs> God doesn't want our religious extremes. He wants us to find him and meet him right in the middle and walk with him. Fourthly, they dare others to dream and to trust God and do all the Bible says. They dare others to dream and trust God. And if the Bible says it, then I want it. I want to experience it. I want to step into it. It's for me. I was having a conversation with Pastor Bill this week about a situation that we were, we were talking about and the person in the situation was, had failed to dream. Years ago, God had given them a purpose and a destiny. And over the course of life, the dream and the thing that they had given them had, was no longer even remotely an idea in their mind. And how scary is that? That scares me. I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back 70, 80, 100, however long the Lord should keep me alive, look back over the course of my life and say, Lord, I remember when I was eight years old at an altar and you called me into ministry. I remember when and I never did anything about it. Lord, help me. I don't ever want to be in that place. Lord, when you place a dream and a passion and a mantle on my life, I want to see it fulfilled. I want to run the race. And I want to dare others to believe that God can do it. When we are passionate about Him, He makes the promises and the principles of old a reality. When we're passionate about God, when we press into God, He makes them a reality in our life. Number five. The, the revival pioneers are not satisfied with structural reform. They're hungry for a spiritual reality. Yeah. What that means, there's a difference between awareness and reality. 
You can be aware that God says, I want to pour out my spirit on all flesh. But there's a whole other thing at stake when you say, God, it's got to be a reality. I don't want to just read about it in the word. I don't want to just read about it in scripture. When you say that your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your old men will dream, uh, dream dreams and your young men will have vision. I don't want to just read about that. I want to have a dream. I want to have a vision. God, I want to have an encounter with you. Give me ears to hear and eyes to see. That's what revival pioneers do. They don't settle for anything but the reality of what God says. Let me also say this about revival pioneers regarding revival. A lot of times we, we have situations where we'll have seasons where God will start to move and there will be revival and God will be moving and doing things. Have you ever asked the question, well, why did that, why did that revival wane? Why did, that, why did it die down and die off? I don't think that's God's intention for revival to just wane. I don't think that's the plan of God. But usually it takes about two, two and a half years for man to build a monument around what God is doing. And by the time we've got our monument built around what God's doing, God's saying, I'm ready to keep moving, and we're ready to camp out. God's saying, let's go on to the next. And went, no, we like it here. Isn't, isn't that what happened on the trans, at the transfiguration? And they all said, oh, let's just, let's just build a camp. Let's just stay here. This is awesome. <laughs> and we can get like that. When God starts moving in our church and it's something new and it's fresh and we, wow, this is awesome. We haven't seen this, if ever, in a, it's a long time. You know, wow, thank you, Jesus. And we want to build a camp and we want to stay there. And that's not what God's calling us to do. He's saying, let's keep moving. Let's, let's keep exploring and discovering the spiritual realities that are available to you. You know, Daniel Boone was, in, in our history, was one of the great American pioneers. How many of you know Daniel Boone? Daniel Boone, yep. Daniel Boone started off. What, what inspired him and what challenged him to move on was this. He got offended by the clergy going into cahoots with the, with the local sheriff and they were charging exorbitant fees and prices to do weddings and funerals. And, and there were stipulations that were being required by the clergy that everybody had to meet if they wanted to get married. Or, and he got mad about it. And so what did he do? He stopped going to church. And he set out. He was, a great, he was a great pioneer. But let me say this about spiritual strongholds that are developed as a result of this. Strongholds, or, or let me define strongholds for semantics purpose. Strongholds are repeated sinful patterns of behavior. That's what a stronghold is. It's, and it's, it's passed usually from generation to generation. Usually the generation further down the road has no clue that where it even came from. Let me, let me explain this a little bit further. The stronghold is started or developed with a wrong response to ecclesiastical or governmental authority. It's, a, it's the wrong response when, when the clergy or the government do something wrong, sinful, or violation, and people respond negatively or wrongly to that. What is God's response? How are we to respond when someone does something wrong? We're to repent. When we repent... God releases his presence, he releases refreshing, he releases renewal, but when we, when we act out in sin, we establish a sinful behavior or pattern that becomes a stronghold. Let me give you an example of this. In this area, 
As I went through and I was studying, and I'll, I'll talk more about this Wednesday, as I was going through and I was studying revival history, I've talked about her before. There was a lady by the name of Ivy Campbell who was from this area. She had moved out to Los Angeles prior to the Azusa Street revival. She, had, she was going to a church out there. She heard about Azusa Street. She goes to Azusa Street, gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. Azusa Street started in April of 1906. She came back here in November, at the end of November 1906, and the 1st of December held meetings at C.A. McKinney's church, which was a uh, South, it was what was called South Street Mission, and started having what was supposed to be five days and turned into five weeks of meetings. But what happened as a result of that? It was awesome, and God did a supernatural work for those that were yielding. Matter of fact, there was a man by the name of Lupton, Levi Lupton, that came out of that movement that started the apostolic faith movement. And had a, had a camp not far from here and held conferences and such. And, and out of his ministry, the, the director, one of the first directors of the Pentecostal Evangel, got baptized in the Holy Spirit at his meeting. So all of that's happening. But in the middle of that, there is a response by the community. The pastors and the local news started attacking Ivy Campbell to run her out of town. They didn't want revival, they didn't want what she was bringing, and they ran her off. Matter of fact, history says that Ivy Campbell, after her five weeks of meetings, went back to Los Angeles so discouraged, so defeated, that she, she never preached or ministered again because of the response she received in Akron, Ohio. That's history. The other thing that I noticed, and that's continual, Catherine Kuhlman ran into it. She majorly ran into it here. She was, she was up against the Akron Baptist Temple, the pastor that was there at the time, and she was up against the Akron Beacon Journal, and both of them were out to annihilate her and to attack her and run her out of town. And then also, the other thing that I noticed, that there's a continual cycle, and I'm not about all these cycle things. You, you all know that. I'm not about, you got to go find the cycle and you got to have your Ghostbuster outfit on. You know, that's not what we're after. <laughs> Just repent. <laughs> Just repent. That's how you deal with it. And uh, the other thing that I notice is that there is a continual cycle of attack against ministers who have a, have a mandate for revival. And it's not just an attack by the church or the, the, the church community. It's an attack from the enemy. There is a, there is a repeated cycle in this community of moral failures within ministry. And, it, and, and it's, it's astonishing the cycle that that has in this. And it's not just one church. It, it's continual. It's, it's, it's a local thing. It's a stronghold in this area. And it's, it intrigues me because this, these patterns are continual any time that God starts moving and doing something supernatural. You see the, the attack on the minister's family. You see the attack on the, from the community. You see the attack from the, from the worldly people and the church people. Anytime God starts moving, why is that? There is a cycle and there is a, there is a plan of the enemy to stop a move of God in the northeast Ohio region. Why is that? Because if you'll take a look at what God has done just in short amount of times, with, with all of those that I've mentioned previously, in five weeks, he turned a community on its ear. In five weeks, Akron was known as the second Azusa Street. 
Why is that? That the enemy would come against the moves and revivals that God's trying to do because he's trying to stop something from affecting his presence, from affecting the northeast area of Ohio. Why is that? Because Ohio, I believe this area of our country holds the heart of our nation. I think there is a significant, and I'm just speaking I'm speaking freely, but just between friends and family, right? I believe that Ohio holds the heart of our nation. And out of this area, if this area would experience a sustained move of God, not five weeks or just a brief, a sustained move of God, a sustained divine visitation, it would affect You've got Washington, D.C., you've got all of the East Coast, you have Chicago, you have the heartland right here at our fingertips. I think God wants to do something supernatural. How about you? (laughs) But when you're doing that, when you're doing that, when you're pioneering a revival movement, you're going to face four things. I want to give you four things the revival pioneers are going to face. First off, they're going to face giants of intimidation. If you, if you have your Bibles, you can go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. In case you were wondering if I was going to pull out the Bible, absolutely I am. 1 Samuel 17. Giants of intimidation, they will cause you to stop in your tracks and they will hold you and render you paralyzed by fear. When you face intimidation, and it comes in all forms, a lot of times for those who are pioneering a work of God in a community, the intimidation comes from the the local press and media like we've talked about earlier, but more times than not, it comes from people that you thought were close to you stepping back and saying, you crazy, you've lost your mind. I I I don't see any value in you pioneering this work of God. Isn't that what happened with our pioneers? You know, when they said, we're going to set out gold rush. We're going to go get us some gold. Everybody thought they were crazy. And they, their friends left them and people abandoned them and, and talked bad about them. And that is true when we begin to pioneer a work of God. The enemy will come in and try to stop us in our tracks and intimidate us. In 1 Samuel chapter 17... And let's start in verse 8. It says, Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for the battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. And if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, This is Goliath. Remember the story. This is Goliath and David. The Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all the Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were paralyzed by the words of, the, of Goliath. You know, when you're in the middle of, of the battle, when you're pressing out and pressing into God to see God do something supernatural, there's, there's a lot of things that are going on. There, there's the, the turmoil and people are saying things and things are happening. And oftentimes, the loudest voice in the middle of all that's going on becomes the giant. 
becomes the giant. The giant wants to defy the, the armies of God. He's not, it's not personal. When, when the giant of intimidation comes against you, a lot of times we think it's personal, but it's not. He sees the mandate of God on your life. He sees the plan and the purpose of God for you, and he's trying to stop God in his tracks. He's trying to stop the plan of God from being accomplished in your life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, it says, We do not look at the things which are seen, for the things that are seen are temporary, but we look at the things that are unseen, for they're eternal. So we can't go out to the battle with our eyes fixated on the giant. We can't go out to the battle looking at the giants of intimidation. We have to meet the enemy head on by faith. We've got to meet the enemy head on saying this is what the Lord says. He will accomplish it this day. In verse 25 of 1 Samuel, it says, So then the men of Israel said, Have you seen this? And were dreadfully, dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this and, and, and who this guy is who's come up? Surely he has come out to defy Israel and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches and give him his daughter, give him his father's house, father's house exemption from taxes. In other words, whoever kills David, if you'll go out and kill him, you'll get the gold, the glory, and the girl. You'll just go on out and God will, he'll reward you. King Saul will give you all that you want to do. And, and David said, and, and re, the revival pioneers will say, as David said, I don't care about the gold, the glory, or the girl. I want his glory. I want his presence. I'm not out to make an identity for myself. I want him. I want God to come and touch our community. And that's what, that's what revival pioneers do. They're not out for, to create their identity by conquering a giant. David didn't go out and meet Goliath so that he could build his identity or his reputation. He went out because the, the giant was defying the armies and the plan of the living God. He went out. Matter of fact, in verse 29, David says this. David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? In other words, enough is enough. He's not defying you. He's not defying me. He's defying this ugly old giant of intimidation is defying God himself. Is there not a cause? I would say to you, is there not a cause for our community and our region, for this area? There are souls that are hanging in eternity's balance. And we can't come and just play church and expect that their lives are going to be transformed. We have to have the power of God. There has to be an awakening of God in our hearts and in this community that transforms this area, this region. Nehemiah was, reminds me of Nehemiah. He was up on the wall, building the wall, doing what God had called him to do. And Sanballat and Tobiah and all the adversaries are trying to get Nehemiah out in the valley of Ono. That's what it was. You can read Nehemiah. They were trying to get him out in the valley of oh no. Can I tell you, you need to stay out of oh no. Don't even go down to oh no. When, when the intimidation comes, that's where the first place we want to run though, right? We, well, I'll show you. Let, let me at them. I'll, I'll show you. We either run down to the valley of oh no or we go hide out in our, in our closet and, you know, shaking with fear. But I want to tell you, you need to stay out of the valley of Ono. You need to stay out of the valley of Ono. You need to have Nehemiah's response. I'm sorry, did you say something? 
That was Nehemiah's response. He said, I'm sorry. Are you, are you criticizing me? I, I'm busy about too great a work. I don't have time to deal with you. I don't have time to deal with this giant. I don't, ha- I don't have time to deal with this intimidation. I'm busy right now building a wall, if you hadn't noticed. We, we have a city to restore, and I don't need to deal with you right now. And I, I think, this is just my thought, there are, there are a lot of giants of intimidation that would like to run their mouth and gossip and complain. That's what an intimidating spirit is. They want to gossip and complain and tell you all their sob stories about why you're wrong and why they're right. Anybody hear what I'm saying? And, all you just, and, and actually, this is what Paul told Timothy to do. When they're standing there doing this, you do this. That's what Paul, that is exactly what Paul told Timothy to do. He said, when they're running at the mouth, when they're going, he said, you need to walk the other way is the Greek translation. He said, why? Because it's gangrene. He said, it produces gangrene. That is the Greek word for that. If you go and read Timothy's letter from Paul. (laughs) We don't allow those giants of intimidation to affect us. We keep moving forward. They're not concerned with identity. We talked about the girl, the gold, the glory. They don't want the, they don't want the, the name and lights. Pioneers might even seem a little unconventional. <laughs> Verse 38, you think? <laughs> Verse 38, I love this. Revival pioneers seem a little unconventional or out of the ordinary sometimes. Verse 38 says, So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said, Saul, I can't walk in these. (laughs) This ain't going to work, friend. (laughs) Sorry. Sometimes they do things a little unusual. They go, to a, they go to a stream and they pick up five rocks when they're going out to face a giant. They do something that looks a little bit different, but it's the very thing that God's called them to do. Listen, and let me say this too. When you're pioneering a work of God, you can't duplicate what someone else has already done. We had some, this is so funny, we had someone not long after we got here say to us, well, you're just trying to duplicate what you had in New Orleans. And to that, I busted out laughing. Because I said, if that were true, first off, there is no way on earth we could duplicate what God's doing in New Orleans because it is so unique and so unusual that that's just not going to happen. Now, we may have similarities to them because that's where we're from. That's our DNA. So you might find similarities, but thank the Lord, we have similarities with someone who's spiritually alive and tuned in and not some dead head headlocked pastor. So anyway, that's all I got to say about that. So you can't you can't duplicate you can't duplicate. It was happening a lot in the 90s. A lot of people were going down to Brownsville and they were saying, "Oh, if we sing the Brownsville songs then God's going to do it." No, you what happens is you need to get in and let God touch you, let God change you, and the overflow of that will affect your community. They might seem a little unusual, a little peculiar. They can't, they can't pick, take up the, the armor of Saul. They've got to go what they've tried and what they've tested on the backside of the wilderness. See, there are things that you will get from God in your alone time. There are experiences with God that you'll have with that bear and that lion when nobody else is watching that will equip you to face the giant. 
But if you don't have those backside of the desert experiences, so to speak, if you don't have those alone time encounters with God where you're seeing his anointing come on you to wrestle the lion and the bear, where you're experiencing the presence of God as you sit and you worship on your own time, you'll never be able to face the giant. The reason that the reason that David didn't need identity is his identity was established in the quiet places with the Lord while he was shepherding the sheep. The true revival pioneers aren't, aren't out for the, the glory before everybody. They're not out to get the, the Saul's armor out in front of everybody. They don't need that because what they've experienced on the backside of the desert in the quiet places with the Lord is what's sustaining them. It's not the applause of man. It's not the accolades of man. It's not the event or the sea. I don't need your applause and I don't need your accolades. I appreciate it. I I don't need your amens and I'll preach without them and I do appreciate them. But at the end of the day, what sustains me and what keeps me going and what keeps me pressing in to God to see the Akron area transformed is not about you or not about me. It's about who God is me in me and what I've experienced with Him. I've, I've tasted and I've seen too much on the backside to know that God's got even greater ahead of us. David goes out he faces Goliath in verse 45. He says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, everybody say this day. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you and I will take your head off of you. <laughs> he didn't mince words. <laughs> he went out and he prophesied to that Goliath what was going to happen to him. This day, Goliath, your head's going to roll. This day, I'm lobbing that thing off and I'm going to bowl it right up in front of Saul and say, look what my God has done. You can't come against me and defy the armies of Israel and, and the armies of God and not suffer the consequences. And we need to get that tenacity where we'll step in front of the giant and begin to prophesy over the circumstance, begin to speak the word of the Lord like Ezekiel over the valley of dry bones when, God, I don't know how you're going to do this. Speak, son of man. Okay. I don't know how my hot air is going to make all these dead bones live, but I'll speak. And he spoke to the winds, and the winds came, and life came into those bones. Begin to speak over your situation. Begin to prophesy. I declare that revival is coming to Akron and the Great Lakes region. There is an awakening. And you just begin to speak the word of the Lord. And, pro- and you say, well, that's just that name it, claim it, mumbo jumbo. No, no. I'm speaking what the Lord said, not what I said. It's name it, claim it when you're speaking out of your own flesh. (laughs) It's speaking the word of faith when God has spoken to you and given you a word and you begin to declare the word of God. It's interesting that David came out to the battle on the 40th day. It's it's symbolic, I believe, of, of what God wants to do and what has to take place. David came out on the 40th day. 40 in scripture is the number for preparation by testing. It means death to self and rebirth. It's God's cycle of perfecting and testing in earth. If, you're, if you study the scriptural numbers, 10 is the number for grace, four is the number for the earth, and 10 times four is 40, it is God's cycle in the earth. 
We see examples of this throughout Scripture. Jesus had 40 days of prayer and fasting and testing. Noah had 40 days of the flood waters on the earth, and the Israelites wandered for 40 years. The number 40 has a significant meaning in Scripture. David walks out on the 40th day. It was God's divine moment and time for David. It wasn't man's orchestrating. It wasn't man's doing. God said, David, now's the time for you to step up, and I'm going to use you to bring victory to the house of Israel. God didn't, uh, or you didn't, bring us here. <laughs> you, you may think you did, but God organized and orchestrated us coming here. God orchestrated, let's take it a step further, God orchestrated that you would be here today. God, God designed that you would be a part of this church. God brought you here. It wasn't our doing. It wasn't because you got a nice letter in the mail from us, and a, although the cookies at your doorstep probably helped, but, but it, wasn't, it wasn't us that did that. God ordained you to be here. God orchestrated, and he's brought you here so that we, he is building a body of revival pioneers that will, that will go out and face the giants of intimidation. We know that God killed Goliath. You know, David winds up the rock and he lets it. And we all think, wow, David killed Goliath. No, God killed Goliath. David, David actually said at the, start of, at the start of this whole thing, he says, the battle is the Lord's in verse 47. He will give you into our hands. And so it's when we try to do things in our own strength and our own abilities that we fail. And so the same is true of pioneering a revival and awakening in our community. It can't be our own strength and our own abilities. It has to be God's work in us. We yield to him. We do what he tells us to do. We put the rock in the sling and we let it go. But reality tells us that this giant was wearing a helmet. If you go back and you read the story, Goliath was wearing a helmet that history says was not even penetrable by anything. He's a giant. He's wearing, I mean, he's got this huge armor on. How can a little tiny rock sink into it? God directed the flight of that rock. And when it went sailing, it hit him square in the middle of that helmet. And like a spike, drove that helmet through his brain and killed him. And David walked up and said, I'm going to take your head, just like I said. And solve the problem. Giants of intimidation. The second thing that revival pioneers will face is mountains of unbelief. And how, how we know that's true. You come up to the mountain of unbelief. You come up to the mountain and all of a sudden you got to figure out how to get around, get over this mountain. But for the revival pioneer, the mountain is no longer an obstacle. It's an opportunity for a miracle. God, you're going to do something great. This, this mountain's not going to stop me. Like Jesus said, I'm going to speak to this mountain and it's going to be removed. I'm going to deal with this mountain head on. I'm not going to get worried about it. Martin Luther King Jr. said this about the mountain. He said, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. <laughs> Have you gone up to the mountaintop lately? And I don't, I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. You, whoo. <laughs> I'm telling you, when you've got, when you get a man or a woman that has that revival 
pioneer tenacity on the inside of them. They'll climb up that mountain and see the glory of the Lord on the other side and say, come on, you need to join me. You need to come up this mountain. I've tasted, I've seen of something that's much better than what you've got down there. Come up the mountain with me and let's cross over. And that's all I'm saying to you, celebration. And and that's what I pray that we'll say to our community is that, Lord, I've tasted and I've seen, I've been on the mountaintop. Woo! (laughs) I've been on the mountaintop and I've seen and I've experienced and I've touched and I've tasted the glory of the Lord and it's absolutely worth it. It's absolutely worth it. It's absolutely worth it. (laughs) I tell you, it's worth it. (laughs) Martin Luther was a young man that had a pioneer vision to lead his generation to freedom. And that's what pioneer revivals do, revival pioneers do. They have, a, they have a mandate from God to bring liberty to their generation. Evan Roberts faced the mountains of unbelief. He got home to his home church, and they, the pastor of his home church looked at him and said, they got stony hearts and good luck. William Seymour's first message, the doors got padlocked and said, don't come back. Whitfield got kicked out of his church and his best friends left him. You got Jonathan Edwards who was fired from his church and preached the same, <laughs> preached at the same church for 15 months after he got fired. They didn't like, they didn't like this whole thing about sanctified living. <laughs> so they said, you got to go. Yikes. The third thing that religious pioneers will face is religious control. (laughs) Those folks try to tell you how to get up the mountain, round the mountain, over the mountain, round the mountain again, and it's all going to be according to their desire, or else you did it wrong. (laughs) Signs of religious control. I'll give you some of these. They're unrealistic perfectionism, false humility, competing, feuding, attempting to prove yourself over another, division, Gossip, strife, legalism, opinion, debate, all of those things are religious control indicators. Y'all got quiet up in here. (laughs) Religious control runs after the spectacular event or they run after the, the headlocked. The event folks, the pacifier folks, they're one of the two. They want normal church. I tell you what, I am so tired of normal church. (laughs) I don't want another normal Sunday. I don't want another normal service. I don't know what normal means to you, but but normal to me, routine, the religious, religious control, all that can go. That's not what God's called us to. That's not what God, there's greater things ahead for you. And if you settle for normal, you'll miss out on them. You can settle, but I'm going to pioneer. What God is doing today won't be measured by what has happened. What God is speaking and doing today won't be measured by what has happened in our past. I think it's important we need to know what has happened in our past. And I teach church history and believe in church history. And we need many, many people in the church today don't understand or know church history. They don't know revival history. They don't know what God has said. And those things become the launch pad for what's ahead. It's not God doesn't judge us and he's not telling us We've got to do ABC like they did at Azusa Street because it's not going to work. How they did it at Azusa Street is not going to work for us today. 
So God doesn't judge us on those things, but nor does he judge us on our motion. A lot of times we think success is equivalent to motion. We got to be moving. We got to constantly be doing something. And all that means, friends, is we've been pacified. We got, we're sucking on our pacifiers. We just got to be busy enough. We just got to have enough activity. And then we're somehow or another, we're pleasing God because we've got motion, right? We've got momentum, the big mo. We've got momentum. So we're somehow successful. And that doesn't necessarily mean a hill of beans in the, in the scheme of eternity and the plan of God. The question for us is, are we fulfilling with obedience what God's called us to do? The difference here is you can have motion and be a migrant, but not a pioneer. So you've got to understand the difference between a migrant and a pioneer. Migrants are people that are motion-oriented. They have lack of commitment and follow-through. They talk big. But there's no commitment or follow-through. Let's move on to the next city. They root in ideas and memories. They follow revelation without application. And they're more focused on knowledge rather than a changed community. Those are migrants. Let's just keep moving. Let's just keep going. That, that doesn't, I don't like that. Let's just keep going. Fourthly, revival pioneers will face the cost of the journey. There is a great cost that comes with killing giants, moving mountains, mm -hmm. overpowering the religious powers, breaking the religious control, there is a great cost that comes to pioneer the way through those things. American pioneers face starvation, disease, brutal weather, death, uncharted territories, but they didn't give up. They kept pressing in. Didn't matter what people said or what was happening around them, they kept moving. And I want to tell you, we've got to have a tenacity like our pioneers in scripture that have gone before like Paul who faced imprisonment, who faced shipwreck. We've got to have a tenacity like Timothy who said, God, I, I don't know what to do with these religious people. They, they were once on fire for you. This church of Ephesus was once a revival center and they've lost the passion, their zeal. God, I don't know what to do. And has to have a Paul write to him and say, Timothy, don't stop. Keep going, fan into flame. I remember the faith that was in you when you began. Don't let it wane because of stupid people who are shipwrecking their faith. Keep moving. Keep pressing on. Amen. And so you got to keep moving. People may not like the direction you're going. They may think you're peculiar. You might have the signs and the symptoms of a revival pioneer. And the people around you just don't like it. It makes them uncomfortable. They don't want to be challenged. They don't want you to come near their junk. Don't touch the junk in my trunk because it's my junk. And I don't want you going through and meddling with my junk. You're making me uncomfortable. And all you're doing is saying, I'm not touching that junk. I'm just running the race. I'm just loving Jesus. I'm just pioneering a work of God. I don't know what you're talking about. But all of a sudden, your presence on the scene. Why is that? Because you're carrying the mantle of God. You're carrying an anointing from God. And it, and it challenges those that have settled. Because in the back of their minds, they're thinking this. What would have happened had I not settled? What would, have had, what would have happened had I done what they're doing? And it's challenging them. Challenges them. There's a cost to the journey. Excuses are marrying yourself to past revelations and ideas. Well, I don't want, I, you know, I can't do it because. That's what happened in the past. It's time to move forward into the things that God has for you. Stop marrying yourself to the past ideas. When God, I wrote this note down. I think this is good. 
When God saves you, he gives you a new heart, but you got to grow a backbone. <laughs> there's, a, there's a cost. There's a cost. And you got to step up with courageousness. you got to step up with, with endurance and say, nothing's going to stop me. Today, this, this day, your head's going to roll. This day, I'm cutting your head off. Sorry, sucker. Your day's over. Let me close up with this. Isaiah 57. As you're turning there, Isaiah 57. When you're a revival pioneer, you have to have more than a community mindset. You have to have a covenant mindset. I want to know that those that are pioneering the way with me, we've locked arms and we're running together. It's more than just a family. We're dying in this thing together. We're going we're gonna to fight the battle together. We're going to face the giants together. We're going to face the mountains of unbelief together. We're in this together. It's more than just community. We're, we are covenanted together. We are partnered together. We're koinonia together. And I, that doesn't, I don't need to worry. And you don't need to worry about whether or not somebody behind you shooting arrows in your back while you're running. You just know I'm running after the Lord and everybody that's running with me has got my back and we're doing this thing together. We're going to see God change and transform our community together. Amen. So I'll just take my liberty here and say if you're one of those that likes to shoot people in the back put your arrows away put your put your bow away and let me say this if you don't this day your head's going to roll that's what david said <laughs> we're not going to face giants of intimidation we're together in this thing we're gonna run. We're gonna run the race together, and we're not gonna allow any anybody to stop the work of God in our church. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I just made a lot of friends. Isaiah fifty-seven. <laughs> just blame it on the anointing. You just say you never know what you'll say under the anointing. Isaiah 57 and verse 14. And one shall say, heap it up, heap it up, prepare the way. Take the stumbling block out of the way of my people. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. I believe that what he's saying here is keep it up. <laughs> keep it up. Keep it up. Keep on doing what you're doing. Don't stop. But what you need to stop is... Stop running backwards and keep moving forwards. Stop going backwards. Press in. Keep it up. Press in. Prepare the way. Make ready the way. Keep pressing forward. Keep it up. Keep on doing what you're doing, but don't keep going back. And then the other thing about spiritual warfare regarding this, let me say this. We think spiritual warfare a lot of times is, you know, the whole Ghostbusters thing. I, I keep, I'm stuck on that. The, I, I think it's funny. Because I've run into so many Christians who have the ectoplasm in their basement, kind of those kind of you know those kind of people, and so I just I just find it funny. But anyway, you can just disregard that. <laughs> but spiritual warfare is a less is less about 
hopefully as a believer, you've got your armor on and you're ready to fight regardless of the situation. But it's less about what you're fighting and more about submitting to God. It's more about submitting to his will. Our, our battle oftentimes is less about what's out in front of us and more about what God's doing on the inside of us. And we just got to learn to submit to him. And learn to walk out what he tells us to do. Submit to God, resist the devil. Stop living like the devil. <laughs> Submit to God, resist the devil. Live opposite how the devil's telling you how to live. Live opposite the mandate of, of evil. And in that is spiritual warfare. It's very simple. Isaiah. You go with me to Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35. And I'll, I'll, I, this is my second closing, Isaiah 35. <laughs> Let me say this too about being dressed in your armor. It's interesting that when, when David went out to meet the Goliath, the giant of intimidation, all of the army was clothed and ready for battle. They all had their armor on. They were all ready. But fear kept them bound up. They could have went out and fought, but they, they were ready for battle. They had everything they needed to go fight the battle. But they were just, they were paralyzed by their fear. And I, I just, I hope today that if that's you, you'll get liberated from your fear and be willing to step out and pioneer the way. Begin to pioneer revival in this community. Lead it. It's personal. You've got you've to carry it. It's not just me. It's not Pastor Heather. You've got to carry revival everywhere you go. You've got to carry it. You're the, you're the carrier. Isaiah 35 says this, The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Man, that's, that is revival. You, we need to see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. When you begin to behold the excellency of the Lord... It's less about your ability, your talent, your skills. It's what God is doing in and through you. God begins to do the work. He goes on in verse 3. He says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come and he will save you. I want to say to you today, if you've been facing those giants of intimidation, if you've been facing those mountains of unbelief, if you've been paying the price and, and your hands have gotten weak and your knees have gotten weak from the battle, be strengthened today. Strengthen. Don't be anxious. Don't be fearful. For your God will come. He has come to save you. What God has promised, He will do. What God is... What God has spoken over this region, He will bring to pass. He will. He absolutely will. And He is. And it's your option and opportunity to be involved with what He's doing. Strengthen your hands. Strengthen your knees. Strengthen. Make strong. Don't get weary in well-doing, for you will reap if you faint not. He says in verse 5, The eyes of the blind shall be open, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb will sing, for water shall birth forth, burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. This, this is revival. This is what God's talking about. When, he, when we talk about revival, it's the blind eyes being opened, the spiritually blinded eyes, and the naturally blinded eyes, the deaf ears being opened, the lame leaping. This is revival. Verse 
Isaiah 35 is a picture of what God wants to do. He says in verse 7, The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water in the habitation. And it goes on, verse 8, I love this. Verse 8, And a highway shall be there, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. But it shall be for others that whoever walks on this road, although a fool, shall not go astray. What are we doing? We're pioneers. We're preparing their way. We're getting the highway of holiness ready so that the coming army can march down the highway of holiness so that the lame and the blind and the, and the, the mute and all of those that are coming can walk on this highway of holiness with us. We've gone before and prepared the way of the Lord. We've prepared for an awakening. We've prepared for revival. I want to offer to you this in our, in our preparation as we close Final closing. As we close, <laughs> I closed my Bible, so that means we're wrapping up. What if we don't prepare the way? What if we shrink back in fear and decide to settle? What if, what if we decide to just coast and take everything as normal? What if? Can I offer to you this? That regardless of whether or not we've made ourselves ready, there's a harvest of souls coming. There's a harvest of souls coming. And that harvest is coming by the divine intervention of God. He's going to do something supernatural in the day in which we live. There's a harvest of souls getting ready to be born into the kingdom. And if we don't prepare the way and go before them, they're not going to stay on that highway of holiness very long. They're going to stumble off the path. They're going to get blown up by a landmine. There's going to be some sort of obstruction. And they're going to turn back and look at the church and say, why didn't you tell me? Oh, I'm sorry. We were busy having comfortable church. I'm sorry. We, we liked normal more than we liked the idea of souls being snatched from the flame of hell. I'm sorry. We liked normal because we weren't challenged. We weren't convicted. We didn't have to deal with the glory of the Lord messing up our plans and our agenda. I'm so sorry that you're not able to live a successful Christian life because we haven't prepared the way because it was just too uncomfortable. But we've got a great church and we're very comfortable in our church and we all smell the like, stench of sin and compromise, but we're comfortable. That would be the opposite. So, I'm okay being a pioneer for revival. I'm okay facing the giants of intimidation. I'm okay facing the mountains of unbelief. I'm okay paying the price. Is it hard? It is. It's not the easiest life in the world. But one of the most rewarding uh, and I'll, I know I said I was going to wrap up. Grace, you got to come up. <laughs> One of the most rewarding things about being a pioneer of revival 
is when you have gone out and you've cut off the head of the giant. When you've gone out and you've crossed over the mountain of unbelief. When you've gone out and you've paid the price and you've overcome the religious powers that be. And you, and you, and you look back at where you were and you look at what God is doing. It's worth every cost that you've paid. It's worth all the giants. All of a sudden, you've got trophies of the victories the Lord's brought you through. All of a sudden, now you've fulfilled what God's called you to do. You know, I think more and more, the more and more that I'm alive, not that I'm that old, but the more and more that I'm alive, I realize I'm really just called to faithfulness. It's really less about a calling or a mantle or any of that other stuff. It's really just called to be faithful to what God's placed in my life to do. And he's called me to be a revival pioneer. And so I just got to be faithful. Faithful in the big and faithful in the small. Faithful when things are good and faithful when things aren't good. Just faithful. And when you're faithful, Jesus is lifted up. And he draws all men. And then all of a sudden you get on the other side of that faithfulness and you look around and you have hundreds and thousands of people that are coming into the presence of the Lord because you've been faithful. You've just been faithful. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you that you've called us to be pioneers of revival. Lord, that you've placed on us a mantle for something more than normal church. Religious stereotypes and shadows of the real. You've called us to the real. You've called us to the real. The reality of the gospel. The full gospel. Everything that you've promised we can have. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so awesome.